Good morning. We left off Perik Ches Pasik Chavdalid. They had presented Gidon with the Malchus and what they thought would be the full sense of the word, giving it to him, his children, all future descendants, which is the din for a true Melech. The Rambam brings down that it's true for any position of Srara. The Sheftim, in particular, did not work like that, Bidafka because they wanted Klai Yisrael to keep in mind that this really wasn't the final destination in terms of the setup of a government, and that, according to Moshe Shainim, we paskin, there's a mitzvah to have a real king, and once that's given to David Melch, it goes to Malchus Beis David forever, and the Einish of giving it to Malchus Yeravam was supposed to be temporary, and even when it continued, and it continued downhill, there was always somebody from Malchus Beis David on the throne. So Gideon understood that. He was a big anav and a big tzaddik, and he was not interested in establishing such a Malchus at this time, because he felt it wasn't warranted and counterproductive. And he wanted to retire. I use the word for lack of a better word. Uh, retiring is uh, really, I can't say it's an American invention, but you don't really, the Avasakadashim, if you picture shepherding sheep, I don't know if they had a 65 year old cutoff point or anything of that uh, nature at all. Think about it. If they couldn't physically do it, Remember, the Ramam says that the average Balabas is learning nine hours a day and working three hours a day. What would you do or what can you do in three hours a day? Whatever the backyard demanded. A couple of tomatoes, milk the cows. It's hard for us to imagine in the present day and age what job is three hours a day unless you've worked up a business to a point or you're valuable enough that they'll take you for those three hours and you can get it done. That's pretty rare. If the Ramam's describing this as the average day, then you have to imagine that applied to the average person. So what were they doing? So it was all pretty local. I suppose if you had your transient businessman, traveler, he would take a large trip or two during the year, go to the Arid, whatever the case may be, and the traveling is the Chayadam, who did it himself, describes it. He says he doesn't understand. Some people go in these caravans, and it's like one big party from the time you leave, even though you only get into the Arid and there's three days of business to do once you get there. But Tehram at the and it gives Musr to a lot of his colleagues and all the people of the generation that it's not a free-for-all. And you have a chiv to learn, and if you have to travel to get there, so bring your handy gemara, or your handy chayadam, and get it done. So I guess the aggregate over there would have been in the times that you're, you're buying wholesale, and you're bringing it back to the town and selling retail. With the Chavetz Chaim store, it was supposed to take a few hours a day. That's not always possible, and that's generation appropriate in terms of what is considered the minimum and what's going to pay the bills and what's going to leave enough time for learning. But 
retirement as a shepherd didn't happen unless they couldn't handle, I don't know how rigorous the schedule was, and that to lift sheep once in a while. Moshe Rabbeinu did that for preparation for Malchus, but otherwise, physically, if it could be done in a in a communist regime, did they have um, retirement, or since the theory was everybody should be working, everybody according to his abilities, they, they had it, officially. Why? Because they assumed he wouldn't be... Uh, I still think that's a, that's a relatively modern... I don't think the serfs in the Middle Ages retired. Um, they didn't reach old age either. What? You're assuming they aged. I think the average... Life that I was very low. I, I don't think they... Yes, yeah, so that's why they didn't have it. What? Yeah, right. They just, they just, yeah, so that's... Uh, we see that early on. Yaakov uh, should be uh, learning is what he did most of the time anyway. Uh, came out all the time. And if you have 12 capable sons, or 11 out of 12, one you have a very long robe to to show that he's not a bar malacha. That's why this leads along. But, yeah, why not? They, and they did that awry, and they were involved in the ruches that wasn't a full-time job. So I use the word retire over here. The pastor is going to say that he not only rejects the malchus, but he goes home. What does go home mean? The go home meaning this is not the seat of government, and I only did this because HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked Kaviyachal, and there was a need, and like every Shefet was, uh, they used the word ad hoc, and he wasn't interested in the job. The irony over here is Gideon is the first and really only one to officially be offered, encouraged to take Malchus officially and give it over to his descendants, and therefore he's the only one we have on record rejecting it in a pretty forceful way, to his credit, and his son, we're going to get to in the next parak, is the only one on record who's going to grab, try to grab, a malchus in a very bloody way, totally illegally against every din and every hashkafa and an absolute disaster. That's not a critique of Gideon. It very much will be a critique of his son. But we're not there yet. We're at the last request he will make, the only request he will make, and Pasuk Havdalad, again, Periches Pasuk Havdalad, right after Chav Gimel, where he says, La'emshol, I'm not going to rule my son, my grandsons, and remind me, a few Pesukim later, it's clear that he had 70 children, it's very clear that they were the ruling class, and there's nothing wrong with that, because for years already, they looked at him as the leader, and he said, no, I'm going home, but it was understood the only people who had clout to do any level of leadership in terms of administrative duties wasn't that much, but the people looked to them to do that anyway. There's nothing wrong with that. His statement was, we're not going to have any official malchus over here, and I'm not selecting one son, and that's not the way it's going to work. And the fact that backdrop was the assumption that the 70 children will be in some capacity of leadership was not a stira. It's not going to work because one of them is going to have designs of his own and his desire for power. But I don't want anybody to be wondering why that's not a direct stira to what he said. He personally went home. He says, I'd like to get back to the Masechta and get back to Shir and uh, 
for him maybe it was even get too sheer because he didn't have the opportunities as he went through his, Baruch Hashem, his wonderful tshuva process of rejecting the Avodah and he went straight into battle from that, so he deserves it, and he goes home, but it doesn't mean his sons aren't capable, it doesn't mean they're willing to pitch in, but it's a group. That's what it sounds like as we uh, will see when we get there, but in between there's a very unfortunate uh, incident that will come back to haunt everyone. And from Chav Dalaran, it almost sounds like a Dovish or Mabakach. As we'll see, nothing is mentioned as a Dovish or Mabakach, or else it wouldn't be mentioned. And we'll see what went wrong. As we mentioned in previous weeks, Shaila exactly who these Mijanim were, but for the purpose of the Pasig, they dressed and acted like Yishmaelim. Direct family, cousins, relatives, uh, nomadic, uh, we'd say today, the Arabic type uh, Bedouins or tribes we'd see around. And they came into battle. Battle was not just as they saw a necessity, which it wasn't at all and usually isn't, but they saw it as such. But it was an event. It was a matzav, as we'd say, Lahavdal. It was something you got dressed for, something you went into battle and picture the Mitzrayim also. Part of it was for the morale to show we're going to win and we're bent on victory and we're assured of victory. So they had a lot of jewelry on the animals, on the camels, and on themselves, and a lot of necklaces. These are men. And a lot of nose rings. That's what the puzzle out of, even in the context of that time, nose rings and this amount of jewelry was not that common, but it was Badi Yishmaelim, and they were close to them in custom of dress. So that's what the Pusik is trying to answer what are these things doing here. And the Matthias was, they were there, and as we mention often, because otherwise the uh, Western attitude has us all confused over here. Why is Klai Yisrael, they won the battle, they won a Baderach Mace, why are they entitled to the Sholol, to the booty? The answer is, Apidin, there's nothing to discuss. They're trying to, Rahman's not kill members of Klai Yisrael, wipe out everybody, and Hashem doesn't allow it. Kaviachol, and all the Abad Lahorcha, Hashem Vaharga, if you can kill them and defend yourself, you take the booty afterwards. There's Nothing wrong up here. even though today, in the modern context, it's not Dominican, that's fine, and therefore we shouldn't do it, and what do we need it for? We don't need any uh, trinkets from the West Bank. But Apidin, this is fine, and they had a big windfall over here, which they weren't looking for in the first place, of a lot of jewelry. Talking about gold and silver and expensive stuff. So, Gidden has an idea, and this idea is it's sensitive he didn't look at it as such. If he felt there was any danger whatsoever, he wouldn't have done it. He was trying to do it as a maila. But it's still around today in terms of the feeling that many people have that after an event, we want to make monuments and statues. So statues per the Night Seder Sugiya last year were not very into, especially statues of people. People uh, who go to Prague, always tell me about how incredible it was. You got the statue of the morale. I assure you the morale is not happy about that statue. <laughs> Whether the Gailam is happy or not, I don't really 
guess he was, if he was there, he was from, I guess, so I don't know, his Chayv Mitzvah, that's a true in the Chacham Tzvi, with the account of the Dominion. The Ma'aral, we're not into that, and Raila Dover, the government, the government, made that. If it's good for tourism, I don't know what they had in mind. Akar by the Goyesha Europeans, not exactly, usually first and foremost in their mind. Okay, so for tourists, it certainly attracts attention. They say it's not a small statue. Never been there, never saw it. Uh, we're not into that. Los Asaniti, the whole sugya, if you missed it, it's all recorded. But we're not into statues of people. Okay, so put that aside. How about monuments and statues of events for the purpose of remembering or Akar there, the jury's still out. Is it Pyrev? Is it Amayla? Is it a Chisarin? To spend tremendous amounts of money on it, as opposed to being Machsik, Yeshivas, and Kailim, and Achzakas and helping poor people. There's no Shaila. The bulk of the money has to go where it's needed for live people. But is there any room for it? People who really don't understand. How can you not want it? Why should you not have it? To make a machlekes, it's not us or it's not us, or, But just understand the backdrop. By the Umas this is a big thing. Well, it used to be a big thing. Now these monuments and statues are somewhat controversial depending on what they stand for or what they're knocked over for now in today's context. So, you know, nothing is really that pure. But assuming you hold of what this thing stands for, is there a concept of uh, having a zikaron? So we have matzevus in a base ilum. We have matzevus for it's not just for tumas kainim that the kainim should know where not to go. The Gemara does mention that as a reason, but that's not the only reason. It's matzeva as a zikaron. So there is such a concept because some people get any sugi. You gotta not get too kanazdik in either direction. We don't spend a lot of money on these things. That's not really where it's at. We have a terrorist chayim, and uh, you want to know about a bayarov, a look in the Gemara, and it's a sugya. And you don't need uh, monuments. We still don't want statues of, of humans. To say there's absolutely nothing to it whatsoever, we even have, uh, Baruch Hashem, not too many, but we have on the side uh, walls over here. Some shuls, depending on how old the shul is, it's every single wall going up from the bottom to the top, and it depends how many you have. We have plaques. What's a plaque? A plaque is if a person's michayim, uh, you can make a sign or a plaque a person gave stucco, that's to encourage the people who are alive, and the person is hopefully alive. And then we have things as is occurring. So there is such a concept, it's just not highlighted and accented as it shouldn't be in a way that's overdone because we focus more on getting things done and having the Teres Chaim. Why do you have to remember something if you could do it now? So are we against uh, the Holocaust memorial, things of that way? We're not against it per se, but we have, we have tombstones and we have uh, outside plaques and we have all these things. There's nothing wrong with that in essence. I'm giving that introduction because that is what Gideon is trying to do that we had a tremendous, tremendous nace now, and the derech of human beings and the teva of the world is that the notion often becomes, unfortunately, what has Hashem done for me lately? Even if you don't mean that in a chutzpah way, which is really kvira, because if you woke up in the morning, you're able to say, what has Hashem done for me lately? You miss the point that the fact that you're walking around and talking 
and thinking Hashem has done for you right now and continues to do for you. But the notion that we're human and we want to remember, so Gidden said that lest we think that this nace wasn't as prominent as we remember it, and the next generation, and he wants to keep it alive, not for his own covet. Clearly he has proven himself to be a tremendous anov. Klaisal should understand that Kosh Baruch Hu did for them, and this one was the first one, as we mentioned in the beginning of the parak, first one on a, an account of receivables. They didn't do tshuva yet, and Hashem gave them the nates first, and now they have to stay in tshuva mode. So Gideon wanted them to remember all this, and therefore, he has an idea. He says, everybody reach into your pockets, or into your knapsack, and why, doesn't you, why don't you give a donation? Each soldier has chilek, X of the booty. And he had a lot as well. And everybody's going to give in, and Ismay, Zav, and the like. And there's plenty to go around, because they came bedecked in it. And everybody throw it into this. He spread out a big sheet. Everybody throw it in, and we're going to make a nice pile. And then we're going to melt it down, and we're going to make this beautiful... Monument, or we're going to sew it into an aphid. We're going to see it described. It makes uh, aphids are hard for us to identify with, but think the aphid of the kuna. And some of Farshim say that's why he picked this particular type of monument, because the aphid is supposed to be machaper against the Vodazaras. He wanted them to remember that the problem came because they were of the Vodazara, and it was solved, and it was only given to them as a nace because they were promising to move away from Avodazara. So he's going to make this aphid-like structure and then leave it as a current in his hometown. The people will see it and always remember the tremendous nice. So the idea itself is nice, could be, could be fine. People remember it and they uh, thank Hashem. And it doesn't sound like this is going to be a major event. Yeah, yeah, so we have it. It's another example. Even Matthias, I'm giving you as a real life example, a real example after death, where Chayisrael does it and puts a pen. It's a good thing. The man was uh, Matairon. They, they, they had it. They always had it in the Mishka and the Mikdash, and they, they had it. It was, it was there for Chayisrael to see, a little regular. Anybody visits. So there is such a concept of making Izzy current. Yeah, Galay was a, a treaty, and they made a monument to the treaty. And they have places, there's nothing wrong with them, Betsam. There are a lot of statues that used to be in this country about the Civil War. I don't know where they're holding exactly, where they're not holding. But they often had monuments, places where battles ended, and it was a decisive battle. And people want to remember, soldiers fell here, and we remember the soldiers. There is such a, it's such a concept. That's not the question of how much money you're spending on it again and how much focus you're giving. But there, the Mon was an ongoing daily nace, nigla. And the Mata Iron was the nice nigla of Nisim to prove finally after Kairach. And after the complaining after Kairach, you would think those were Nisim that would convince everybody, but there were still people who were saying, no, Moshe Rabbeinu could have spared them, or why do you have to prove it like this, and maybe Iron still shouldn't be, and you picked Iron. That was the whole Kairach's uh, ridiculous taina. But to prove once and for all, so the Mata Iron proved it, and that finally silenced the, uh, the opposition and the uh, Kfira. So they put it with the small collection in the National Archives, if you'll call it, as is the current. 
But that was relatively hidden. When you went to Leela Regal, you wanted to know about it, it was there. You don't find, you walked around cities in Clay Israel, again, they didn't have statues of people for sure. Uh, statues in general, as you'll see from this story, were dangerous. And this wasn't a statue per se, it was made into an ephah, but it was made into something where they were taking jewelry and uh, melting it down or sewing it in or whatever they were doing, and it still came back to haunt them. Sure, sure. But once, what I know about Mun, which is not that much, it was pretty miraculous that it came down fresh and tasted like pizza, french fries, hamburgers, and anything you wanted it to be. So it's not so surprising that it would also keep its uh, freshness without uh, a lot of additives, or any additives for that matter. And um, the Tzadzadzadz Haman was put there to remember the biggest nace, and that is called Panasa, and it's a daily nace, and we should remember, and Yemen used it to show Klai Yisrael when he gave him Musar, he says, you're working too hard, and Hashem can support you, and do your Ishtadlis, and remember this, and this is about not doing too much Ishtadlis. So that's why it was kept around. Okay, so let's see his plan. Again, They are more than happy. They just offered him the entire malchus. So this is going to cost very little compared to the taxes and everything else they would have had to pay to create this malchus. And they're not looking to save money here. And they were excited. Everybody was in awe of the nace. They spread out a big sheet, blanket, article of clothing, well, just to catch the rings that were now flying in, the nations that were coming in. Literally, so everybody tossed the rings in. Zov. A lot of gold. Levad min ha-sarenim. Sarenim were the jewelries, the necklaces in the shape of moons which no doubt uh, the Goyim worshipped, among other things. They wore it into battle. Vanatifus is another type of uh, golden encasement of different perfumes, which no doubt they needed as they were going into battle. And during the battles, they needed it in general. Uh, perfumes played a tremendous role in the ancient world, even more than today in a certain way. As called, what do they call it, French bath? They didn't really take showers too much, so... Uh, why they blame this in the French, I'm not sure, but I imagine France as being one of the older countries in Europe. Uh, as I always mention, the uh, Chuvas talk about getting lost in the forest, and they assure you there's no problem, as all you have to do is wait for the next wind, and you could smell the nearest city 190 miles away. That wasn't a good thing. The Chuvas are written in terms of Hochas Brochas, how in the world do you daven in cities? Yeah, they had perfumes, and they had the odor that was the problem that made the perfumes very necessary, not just for fanciness. So um, that's probably why they would have such a thing. That's this in the Tifus. Gama is very expensive, and it's part of the booty. And this besides all the necklaces they had on the camels themselves. Vayasa Sagidna. Sagidna takes all of this, all these generous donations, and he makes an ephod. Vayatseg Aisai wasn't aware. Vayatseg Aisai Be'ira Ba'afra, and he sets it up. His permanent home will be in his city, in Afra, and anybody will come visit there. We'll get a tour of 
his home, which we already saw a piece of pottery that they dug up just recently in honor of the Shear in Eretz Yisrael with the name Yerubal on it. Pelvic a find. They hadn't found anything like that belonging to him in a long time, if ever. They're very excited about that. And the city was a place where people would uh, visit. Uh, he had a lot of contacts. They would visit him. And after he wasn't there, they would visit the 70 children. That didn't last very long. But uh, it was an important city. So people would come and they'd see the Eifa and, and they would talk about him, remember the Nace. That was his plan. Unfortunately, it remained only a plan. The end of the Pasuk, Ve'iznu kol Yisrael, the word kol is pretty jarring. Ve'iznu Yisrael, we'd say it's a small chile, kol Yisrael. It doesn't mean everybody, but kol has to be a roiv, ruba kakula. Ve'iznu kol Yisrael, acharav, sham ba'ihi legidden labesai limaykesh. And it becomes a maykesh, maykesh, a lushen ensnaring. It became a tremendous michshol for kol Yisrael, and... This is an achrayas. Gidon goes down in history as a tremendous sadik and anov and accomplished a tremendous amount and saved Klai Yisrael. And meant well. Yesterday in Shir, my introduction of the people who mean well. So, usually uh, is followed by some very important and sharp critique of uh, the uh, road to Gehenna is paved with good intentions. So, I'm not saying that over here because he went to Elam Haba and he goes down as uh, like all the other shaitan except for the next one as a Tzadik Yisraelim. But this was a big mistake and how do I contrast this delicately? Asnil Ben Kanaz was the first shaitan who's in Gain Elam. He's the Klai Yisrael's Rosh Hashiva and a very reluctant shaitan as well. Tremendous honor and just did the job when it was necessary. Didn't make this mistake. And Gideon now created something, and the people are very enamored by it, and they end up worshiping it. How? Uh, we don't know the gory details, and it wasn't while Gideon was alive, as Rashi spells out. Gideon was a great man. This wouldn't have happened when he was alive, and it didn't happen when he was alive. And when he was alive, they came, they looked at it, and they said, Oh, I remember the days of that nace, and that was incredible, that battle 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. He lived to a ripe old age. And they remembered it, and that's why he made it, and there was nothing, it was fine. But the Ezechachem or Ezechachem, especially when you wean them off of Avodah and he was cognizant of that. He made the Eifah, because the Eifah was the symbol of something that was Mechaper for Avodah So he had all this in mind, and it didn't work. And they slipped back, which for a nace, a victory in battle that was given on credit, for them to do tshuva, the good news is it worked, and as soon as the battle happened and they won, they moved away from Avodah Zarah, because they saw Gideon save them, B'Shem Hashem, and they saw it was Yad Hashem. It was only skin deep, and they slipped back pretty quickly because the tshuva wasn't from the bottom up. That was part of the problem, and that's the problem when you take credit, you got to know how to pay for it. And over here, the credit was supposed to be followed up with some very deep-rooted Chuva from the scholastic point of view of learning the Makaris and learning the Dinim and learning Musar. Apparently, that wasn't followed up sufficiently. And um, after Gidon wasn't there anymore, there was a tremendous damage. What they do, it doesn't mean Rev. Kleisel came every morning and started bowing down to it, but they started associating certain powers. This is always how it starts, like with Enosh and 
attributing certain things to this, and then it degenerated from there. Yes, somebody had a hand up here? Yeah. So, the end of the Pasuk, it wasn't only a Mekesh for Klai Yisrael, that already says, it was blamed on Gidon, and this has to be kept in mind for what we're going to see pretty soon, the disaster that unfolds with one of his children, and he had tremendous, tremendous bracha. Lived to a ripe old age, retired, spent his days in the pursuit of chesed and ruchnius and all those good things, and he had 70 sons. 70 sons. That's a big family. And the number 70 is also obviously representative of many concepts of shlemus and things like that, and that's about as large a number as we're going to see David Amalch, the official number of the Gemara was 400. Shaila, is that the right kiss? Pashas, it is. Some taina that it's a, it's a smaller number, but let's assume the number is 400, or 400 represents a very large number, but that was from a lot of battles in Meshavas Tayar, which he held was an Indian and a mitzvah in the Zayar Kaddish to redeem certain neshamas. It ended up being a mistake, partially, but on his madrega. But you don't find these are, before we get to the son of the Pelegish, which is the problem over here, uh, the 70 sons were regular natural sons and regular marriages. And it was wonderful. And it could have been a mini government that wasn't necessary for one person to be a shafir to be a mela, but they were very capable people. There's no reason to assume not so. So the end of his life was very productive and... This was a big mistake. That's not a mistake. It's going to be a disaster. And the Pasuk is not going to go on to discuss a lot of this because you don't have to. Once the Pasuk says, and it was a Mikesh, and then you see the next parak was a disaster in a different area, if you don't put two and two together, then you miss the Pasuk. The reason they didn't have Seat going forward is because of this problem. And it was innocent, and it was a mistake, and he didn't mean it, and he was the one who fought the battle. Yerubal, he's the one who fought the battle against Yevodazar. Lamaisa. It was pinned on the family, and the family is going to see no nachas on this because of this mistake. So, tining that it was only a mistake, it was an honest mistake, if it's not undone, it's not going to get very far. And even if you're starting off as Gidon, which is a frightening, very sobering fact. Yes? Good question. There are two reasons. First of all, the Gemara says that Often when Klaisel did Avodazar, it was a front for a heter for his nus. There's a bigger type of his nus aspect, and they just use that. Oh, our gods allow that. Our gods encourage it, which often they did because they didn't exist, because they weren't gods, and that was the front. That's uh, first of all. Second of all, the Yiznu is often a process that they were lured into it, they were sucked into it, and it's not shy from one day to the next. He died, they had Levi on Tuesday, and on Wednesday they came and they all bowed down to the aphid. That's not what happened. Miznu is they ended up going astray different levels. Suddenly if it's Chol Yisrael, that's a big number, even 51%. It doesn't mean everybody really held you'd interview them. Oh, this is Yavar this created me. They were hundred Madregas, but any slight Natiya is Vizhnu. I think that's why the Lashon is used, yeah. That's why we're, that's why I'm pointing it out, because the pussy's pointing it out. So how's it connected? So if you're not Gidun, yeah, 
Yeah, but it's interesting. It's interesting. The, we don't have too many of these things around. Again, we have Matavis and a base Elam, but nobody's bowing down to those. I'm nobody normal. And we have the mom. But you notice, the mom is around for a long time. It's a very, if you're looking for trouble, a holy object from the uh, free Dicadarius. Maybe we should, uh, you know, take a teaspoon a day and that'll make us whole. Who knows what? They, uh, people get very funny about it. It never happened, though. Why not? So, again, we're not here to critique Gidon per se. Even Pusik says that it was a mistake, a bad mistake, and it was a mikesh, it was the undoing of the family. But Moshe Rabbeinu was told by a Baruch Hu to take a mun, a portion of mun, and put it in a jar and put it away with future days. It's a Pusik in Chumish. It's a Tzivu if Baruch Hu. You're never, ever going to have a Michshul from that because... If Hashem is given the tzivoy, then Kodesh Baruch Hu knows what's coming and what the downside could be, and it's not going to be a problem. And Moshe Ben is not going to question it. Moshe Ben is not going to say, well, that's interesting, we never have museums of... Well, now we do, and we have this, and we have the Mata Iron, and the Mata Iron, the same thing. It sprouted, it was a nice nigla, put it in the Mishkan. David Amala, by the way, after he cut off Goliath's head, just talking about remembering Nisim, he donated that sword to the collection, that's a chiddush. And he said, put it over here, and people should see. The sword apparently was very unusual, and people saw it, and they knew that was Goliath's sword. And people should see, Allah look at the nace. David Amalek was after Giddon, obviously. He understood no one's going to bow down to the sword. Does he remember that's Giddon's sword? And it wasn't the Mekesh. As a matter of fact, it wasn't really donated. It was, I guess he made it tonight. When he was on the run... The only, he asked for a weapon when he was pretending to be Shoal's son-in-law. That wasn't pretending, but he was on a secret mission. That was made up. Because Shoal was trying to kill him, and they didn't, the Kainim is in a near Kainim. I don't have any weapons over here. Not one. So David Amal said, uh, I need a weapon. I'm on a secret mission. We forgot to. All my men in the forest, which didn't exist. And I got to go, and I need some food. Didn't have any food. Uh, Shaila, he's not a Kayan. That they him upon him. And I need a weapon. Oh, we don't have weapons over here. The Kayan says, you know what? There's one sword that you donated. That's very good. If you want to use that, that's pretty, uh, pretty sharp. And he said, that's Gvaldic. I'll take that. And they took it. So <laughs> it wasn't Muktush. So we have a concept. But what? Uh, Daig, unfortunately, didn't need much to. Daig uh, came and told Shalom al in a very firm way. He says, look, your highness, I don't know what's going on, but I saw your son-in-law whispering with the Kain Gadol. It wasn't the sword, per se. And he said they gave him food, which in David Mel's backdrop of the story he made up, which he had a head or two. He gave him food. Yeah, his son-in-law is on a secret mission. Why would that have made ways? But Doug had a sneak suspicion because he was very smart that the story was made up and he was escaping and Shaul was trying to kill him. And he was right. So it wasn't just a story. He said he gave him food, gave him supplies, gave him whatever they had on hand. They probably gave him some band-aids or something. Whatever you need to travel to enemy territory, a canteen and a sword. So the sword was just one component of the... Uh, he didn't... Had the sword not been there, he would have spoken Lashonar anyway. Yes? Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't say, though, that he... So it doesn't say he was told to put it away. Right. And it doesn't say he put it away. I'm chayshish. There's no pasuk that I know of that Moshe Rabbeinu, before he left, said, uh, I don't have a tzivu for this, but this thing really was pretty central to that. My son, I think, was very inspiring. Why don't you keep it around? I, I don't think he would have said it. I don't think he did say it. I think they had it, and he didn't say, grind it up now. 
and it was around a long time till it became a Moshe. Way later it became a Moshe. And then one of the great descendants of David Melech said, this is getting out of hand. Why don't we grind it up? And he's still in opposition. That's why the Mishnah says that it had to give a confirmation that because it's pretty controversial. You take one of the oldest Sotheby's uh, would have priced it at $5 trillion and that's a low bid. Can you imagine taking the national... This is like the oldest they have. What do you mean you're grinding it up? He said, yeah, there's some people who are making it into one of our desires. He said, well, those people are crazy. You're blind. It, I can understand why there was a discussion. It wasn't rave of Klai Yisrael. And he wasn't told to put it away. The question is, was it a taina that he didn't grind it up? We don't see such a taina like that either. You see, when Chizkiel did it, it was even controversial then when he tried to get rid of it, which he succeeded, and Maisa Sahedrin agreed with him. But that was a long a long um, gap between when it was still around, not being officially dedicated to the Mikdash per se, and it became Mikdash. This happened right after he died, which tells us that right before he died, they were already thinking about it. So that he should have seen. So Shaila is, what should you see coming? I'm not saying we can't have a situation where something becomes a Mikdash way later. That might not be a Tain at all. And we don't see it as a Tain on Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a good example. But the, even the sword being given, you can imagine, oh, that's the sword, they're going to start making something of it. The Avdi Avarazara, the Baal Zvuv, is the most puzzling things around. And there's a Chazal that Shlomo Malk was trying to make fun of the Avarazaras, and one of the visiting dignitaries was, all the visiting dignitaries were all the Avarazaras. That's why Shlomo Malk was trying to bring them to Shalayim to get them to be normal and accept Zion Mitzvahs. And he was talking to one of them, and he was making fun. Uh, a fly came. That flies in the palace also. <laughs> fly came and landed, and Shalmamal says, yeah, why don't you take this fly and make it to the bazaar? And she said, you know, that's a great idea. Hence, Baal Zavuv was born, and we think they're out to lunch. But no, the fly represents certain, after the fly, certain aspects of the Avarazara. There's a Marshall Nimshel with the flies. They had... Uh, their own uh, Mishagasin behind it based on Kishuf and all sorts of other things, and they didn't need too much of an excuse to try to make it happen. So it was dangerous to have things like this around. It's, uh, if it sounds like it's sad, it's going to get worse. Uh, as I warned you, this next parak is, uh, to my mind, uh, more difficult to explain than Pesel Micha and Pelagis Begiva. Yeah. I, I, Pesel Micha and Pelagis Begiva go down. If you ask anybody about Shaftim, they'll tell you those are the two worst disasters. And they were pretty bad, and over a few hundred years, pretty good. They only had two. This is a third. I'm not sure if it belongs as number one in a certain way, and I will explain what I mean when we get there. But uh, I want to end off on a good note before we go to the Peleyets. Let's go to Chavches. Midjan is gone as a political force and as an entity, as a military force, and they never bothered Klai Yisrael again. They never lifted up their head. Including the original years where they were terrorizing everybody. But they had a nice generation plus of rest from them. And Gidon lived a long time, even though he wasn't active as a sheifet. But they didn't dare attack while he was still alive. And everybody was sort of almost in tshuva mode. And that was a nice period of the 40 years. And he goes home. And the next two I'm going to describe his retirement and his family with the 70 sons and where it goes from there. But we're going to pick that up next week. Let's go to the Pelliades briefly. <clears throat>
speaking of man, not coincidental, and hishtadlis for panasa and not overdoing it. Page Reish Membez in the first part of the Sefer. We began the second paragraph and it talks about the fellow who has a factory. He lives in Tiberia and he, he has the factory of the Sada in Sipuri and the fellow who lives in Sipuri and has his operations in Tiberia. Second paragraph, Reish Membez. And it was a big schlep commuting from Tsipuri to Tiberia back and forth. And they finally realized, you know what? We're good friends. Why don't you take care of my field in Tsipuri and I'll take care of your field in Tiberia? I have a better idea, by the way. Why don't they just move? So anybody who asked that question, like me, must be an American in the modern times. That wasn't an option. How the field ended up over there that he had. And it was a good investment. A reaction did from his mother's side of the family. Whatever happened. But moving was an option. It was easier to say, well, make a partnership. You watch my field. I'll watch your field. And that's going to be the mushal and the nimshal over here. We didn't have time yesterday because he ran out of time in the shear, as we're doing now. I didn't point out. It doesn't say bitachin. The marshal over here, instead of expending extra effort to schlep there, why don't you ask somebody you trust to watch it over there, and you'll watch his over here. So the deal, the nimshal over here, is a Baruch who gives us down here on earth Yerushamayim to work on. Hashem says, you just work on Yerushamayim, which is all the Avedis Hashem and all the mitzvahs, and it's supposed to, all the mitzvahs, the sum total, are shibut to an adun, that's Yerushamayim. So you work on Yerushamayim, and I'll take care of the Gashmias, and I'll get you the Lechem in Hashemayim, Mamish Laman, which is still happening today. When you get Panas, uh, we think, that's the challenge of life, we think it's due to our great sharp mind and sharp wit that we close the deal and that we got everything, and no shaykhs whatsoever, it's Zeus uh, Apecha, we're fulfilling the Klala, and then Hashem rains down Panas in Hashemayim. And even by Lumas Elam, they call it a rainmaker interesting expression that happens to be pretty accurate because nobody deludes themselves into thinking that you can make rain. And by the way, I remember decades ago already they said it's coming a point in time like the Dara Mabal where they know how to make rain already. They see the clouds and they make it. And uh, that's going to be terrible because like the Mabal, they say, we figured everything out. We don't need Hashem, which is what brought the Mabal. Dafka, by the rain, the Panos, they said, we got our own water supply. We don't even need Hashem. That was the Midi Kenegad Midi. I, where a couple of decades later, they still haven't figured out how to make rain. I don't know where that technology, why they didn't, it's a good thing they didn't push that agenda. Uh, a little cloudburst over here, over there, they, they make rain on a large scale. Uh, yeah, but to get it to Central Africa where it's needed has not been possible yet. <laughs> There's still droughts. Akash Baruch Hu and his Rachman did that, that we still, it's a reminder, we still need them. And Panos in general, so rainmaker is actually a good expression. But you're not the rainmaker. You do your stadlis, and Hashem makes the rain. I'm trying to do this. Good, but apparently it's not scalable, the economics yet, because there are droughts still in the world. And I, I, growing up, I thought they were trying to solve that, and they were, but they didn't, and that's probably good. 
Yeah, that's for a ski slope here and there for those who like taking a break for five minutes from there. Benas Darm, you know, that's uh, for those who... Uh, I understand, I understand. Uh, okay, but it's not solving the real drought issue. So the point is the... Peliah is going to say, So that's our job. Like Tzipuri. And Tiberia said, You do your job over here. You work in your Shemayim, your mitzvahs. That's the catalyst. And I will make sure that you have the bread, the daily bread you need, and I'll make it rain. And look at your children and see how well-adjusted and happy and calm they are that day-to-day they don't seem to be worried about panas and paying the bills. Did you ever notice that at home? They're very happy-go-lucky. Why is that? Because they don't make the money. That's fine. Age-appropriate for the children. Nothing wrong with that. But take a look at how content they are and how not nervous they are about who's going to pay the next bill. The answer is, they know that their father is trying to take care of it. And Pelliet is going to go on to say that our father in heaven is taking care of it, and he asks us to do the Yerushalayim part, the Torah mitzvahs. On that positive note, we will, the mitzvah Shem, continue next week.